Hi everyone, I'm Ellie. Today's scripture is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Is God even real? Is this what it really looks like to follow him? What is the church all about? What is life? Should we just try to strive and do whatever it takes to get ahead, to look out for your own, to try to make life the best it can be for you? Why does it so often seem like the wrong people are winning? and excelling, and we're floundering and struggling. Why is there so much evil, injustice we heard about? Things are not the way they should be. In, in our own circumstances, we ask questions. We would almost never dare to say those things, but we wonder why. Why, God, are you, are you even powerful? And are you good? If you're good, why do you let these things happen on the world as a whole and in my life, in my family, to my kids, to my neighbors? Why? Maybe you're good, but maybe you're not powerful. Maybe you, you, you see our plight and like a really warm grandfatherly figure santa claus you're 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 cheering for us you give us little candies from your pocket some change but you can't really do anything about my plight my situation again we almost would never say those things out of our mouths one, I want to encourage you, if that's real, if you know that, if you're like, yeah, those are all my questions, my hope is that you can say them, that the truth can be in the light and not fester in the shadows, that this wouldn't be a place to slap on a face or to pretend. But I think even for those of us here who would call ourselves Christians, I don't want to assume that's everyone. Maybe you came with a friend or something like that. I'm, I'm glad you're here. My encouragement and invitation would be that over the next, especially maybe next couple weeks as we're in this specific series, that you would come and keep coming and, and ask those questions. Join us as we ask those questions. Even for Christians, though, again, people myself as a pastor, again, I wouldn't dare say those things or post it on social media or even put it down in my journal probably, but it's, though it might not be my confessional faith, right, what I say, it's very often my practical faith. It's real. And I think the message and the question of Isaiah as a whole 
and specifically Isaiah chapters 40 through 55, which is a poem, and there are poems within the poem. And as we walk through this time together, the question put before us is, do you even know your God? Because we tend to focus and look at ourselves, right? It's been said that we are all navel gazers, right? That means like we think, oh, looking at the stars of no navel gazers. We stare at ourselves and then we stare at our own circumstances and that defines our whole lives. And the message throughout this series and specifically today as we kick it off in Isaiah chapter 40 is turn your eyes to the all-powerful God of comfort. There's an encouragement and an exhortation, a rebuke. So let me pray for us now as we all come together to be shaped and encouraged and challenged by God and his word, the all-powerful God of comfort. Let's pray together. Again, Lord, we come before you as we've said this morning, as we've talked, as we prayed. Even now, will you, by your Holy Spirit, do a work? Even it's, it's, it sounds weird and mystical, but, 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 but you are real. And you, you speak to us as a whole, as humanity, as a church. And to individuals, everyone in this room, you have seen every moment over the last 24 hours. You know everything and you know what we need to hear. Will you speak to us through your word and open our ears and our eyes to see and respond to you? In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, again, my name is Dave. And I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, I'm excited for us to walk through this series together. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, if you have a Bible, if you have an app, uh, go ahead and turn there. I'd love for you to walk through. We're going to try to walk through this whole chapter, 31 verses in Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have one. If you don't own one, we want you this to be a gift to you. So will you hold your hand up and keep it up? We'll get you one. Okay, we want to make sure everyone has a, a Bible. Uh, y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, uh, uh, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en uh, Isaías capítulo 40. So, so again, um, we're in uh, the, the book of Isaiah chapter 40. This is a gift to you. We want everyone to have a Bible. So out of the gates, before we jump right into Isaiah 40, I want to introduce a little bit, just some background. There's a lot that could be said. I want to encourage you all to dive into it and look at it. But um, Isaiah, is um, the, the series we'll be walking through is the servant king. And specifically, you'll even see the suffering servant king. And uh, this book, um, Isaiah, was it was it was written by the prophet Isaiah, and it uh, it, it was during the time frame from 740 BC to 681 BC. If you're like me and you didn't know until college that before 
uh, Christ was born, um, the dates worked, they went from bigger to smaller. Okay, so um, again, 740 B.C. worked its way down to uh, 681 B.C. So that's 110 years. And this book was written before the Babylonian exile, which was when Israel, a small country, like smaller than uh, half of California. So if you can picture the map, less than half of California, Israel, sandwiched between all these massive nations for throughout the history uh, all over the place from the from you know Egypt and and then you know Babylon Assyria eventually Greece and that whole empire and Rome and all this in this little place and so this book will talk about um, exile when God will judge lovingly correct his people and bring them uh, out of there to to be to be judged and, and shaped and corrected and formed under Babylonian exile. And so again, Isaiah's the author. There's a lot of predictive stuff. Again, over 100 years of this is what's going to happen and this is what I'm saying to you and these details will happen. We do actually believe that God wrote the whole Bible and he wrote the whole history of the world. And so he is absolutely able to say this will happen a uh, hundred years from now that we don't try to do, you know, historical academic gymnastics to try to, you know, figure it all out. And how could this happen? No, God actually uh, can prophesy, can predict and can tell his people. So that's what happened here in Isaiah. Um, again, you don't have to take that hook, line and sinker. That's where we're coming from. We'd love to invite you and challenge you to have conversation if that if that is uh, if that's hard to wrap your mind around. That said, again, the big idea out of the gates is turn your eyes to the all-powerful God of comfort. And specifically today, this is how we're going to walk through it. So MJ, if you could throw it up there. We're going to see that God cares enough to correct his people. And God is powerful enough to confront evil. And God is kind enough to comfort the hopeless. Okay, so again, that's what we're going to walk through together. And so without further ado, let's open up Isaiah chapter 40 and uh, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So again, God cares enough to correct his people. There's, there is correction throughout this series little heads up, there will be lots of that. There will be rebuke and harsh language, yet it starts, this poem starts with this, these words, comfort, comfort my people. That, that is a theme that will run all throughout. We will see that language. So even when there's harsh stuff, he starts it out with this, 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 this covenant language of comfort. Here specifically, it goes on to, right, this, this language and imagery is used of a, uh, a, a wayward wife or a wayward woman. 
that God loves and has promised himself to and, and promised that he would, he, would, he, would, he would live in covenant union with. And, and, and then that, 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 that she, his bride, has been unfaithful. And that he says, even in my, in my pursuit of you, it is, it is tender and kind and loving. That, that that sets the tone for God's, God's plan. And then as we saw there in verse 3, it says it uses the language of, of spiritual and physical wilderness. Specifically, right, we know something about this, of desert dryness. Like cracked ground, potholes, we know, right? They didn't have asphalt yet, but just the ground it, it, under the heat, and it's, it's thirsty. And so there's physical effects of sin, of walking outside of relationship with God. And then there's also spiritual. There's also a me- metaphor of spiritual thirst, of emotional and relational longing and discord. This is the reality of God calling out, of God caring enough to correct what is not the way it should be. And yet, because God is God, there is always hope in his promises. In verses 4 and 5, it says this, and I wish I could kind of harness a voice and see if you notice this and recognize these words. They've been used elsewhere. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in his famous I Have a Dream speech, quoted that that those two verses are specifically a part of it not to call out our our own pastor here pastor marcus doe has memorized that that entire speech we're not going to call you out right now to do that but i know he has and can and so he knew that as we're starting there that these words have been have been used that there is there is there are promises and hope even in the absolute dryness and broken lands as the result of sin and evil, God promises. And then in verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Again, promises from someone who cares but isn't powerful is absolutely frustrating. But God is powerful. His his promises stand forever. Grass withers, right? We know that. We see that where we live. Flowers fade. During monsoons, you drive past Picacho Peak. It's beautiful. Flowers all over the place. It only takes a couple days. They're gone. They fade. But God's word, his promises endure forever. And it's not just for these people, Israel. Okay, they would have thought that. In that time, that would have been. But even now, in these promises, hundreds of years before Jesus would come, God says, 
Go up to the mountains and proclaim it. Look with me in verse 9. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, the gospel. Herald of good news. That's what gospel means, good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Do you even know your God? There's good news. And part of it is that God cares enough to correct his wayward people. Well, again, a God who just cares but isn't powerful, that's hopeless. That is frustrating. But thankfully, God is powerful enough to confront evil in the hearts of his people and on behalf of his people. Amen? Look with me. Let's pick up again now in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Okay, hold your hand like this and look at your palm. That's the hollow of your hand. Who can measure the oceans in the palm of his hand and marked off the heavens with the span? Okay, throw up two L's, right? A backward L. You could do this if you're, right? Some L's right here, right? What, the span is from the end of your thumb to the tip of your forefinger. Some of us have bigger hands than others. I can't even palm a t- tennis ball, but... Uh, pretty sure Scott Burbank could palm uh, something even bigger than a basketball. But, uh, but you can't measure the heavens, the skies, the universe, the cosmos with the span of your hand. But God can. Do you know your God? Do you know how powerful he is? Verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his course or his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? How many of us, not confessionally, but practically, think God needs our counsel? God, you got it wrong here. Oh, you're missing out. You wouldn't want me to be single this long. You wouldn't want my circumstances to be like this. You wouldn't want me to not be able to have biological children. You wouldn't want me to have never met my biological parents. In contrast, way less consequential, but very real for, you wouldn't, you wouldn't let, you wouldn't want a, a flat tire right now. You wouldn't want an unpaid bill to keep showing up. You wouldn't want plumbing to break. You, you need, you, you, you're getting it wrong. How could you? You must not be powerful. God doesn't need our counsel. He delights and loves to use people, his creatures, but he doesn't need us. That's good news. That's not mean. He loves to use us. He loves to hear from us. He delights in our prayers and our requests. But how much more do they mean in the fact that he doesn't need them? That's good news. 
And then continue on. I'll just pick up here in, uh, in verse 17. All the nations. How many nations? Which nations? All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted to him as less than nothing and emptiness. All the nations. Again, you're Israel right now. You're sitting there. On one hand, they are pretty puffed up. They had been puffed up in different seasons, right? We walked through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. There's some arrogance in there. You saw earlier, I, I, I skipped it just for sake of time, but it said Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. There are other places where, where, where Solomon used all the timbers of Lebanon to build the temple, to build his palace, this same language there. It's, so it's, it's, it's intentional here that, no, you Israel, though, though you've had all this favor and blessing, don't get too big for your britches. But also, as the prophecies are coming that God's going to use these other nations to refine and shape his people. Wait, all the nations, Egypt? God, you haven't seen the pyramids. You don't know about Egypt and their chariots and their power. Babylon, who's coming, and then after them, Assyria. Have you ever seen the movie 300? That's, that's that, the P Persian nation. Remember the scene where, where he's standing out and looking, there's, and there's like rock music playing, and there are all these, all these ships out there farther than the eye can see. That's coming and all that. All the nations. The language here used is... Uh, God is like a, like a child. That, what's that little, I was thinking of it, I, and I forgot the name. There's like a little kitchen. I don't know if they still make them, but they're like little kitchens there used to be. They're like people had, and they easy bake ovens. Yes, stuff like that. Like in that, and picture like a little plastic toy scale that, you know, one of your, one of your kids would uh, put some sand in and pretend it's sugar. That's what God does to measure the nations. A, a little thimble, he is all of their power is like a drop. All nations. Do we see just how powerful our God is? Verse 24, scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. What, what, what comes to mind there? A dandelion. Again, right? A little three-year-old can pluck a dandelion and blow on it, and it will just flow off into the wind. God does that with any power, seen or unseen, that comes against him and his purposes and his plan. Do you see how powerful your God is Martin Luther, the theologian from the 1500s, not Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but who he's in part named after, uh, Martin Luther, theologian, said the most important thing about a person is what comes to mind when they think about God. It's not just the wrong stuff we think about God. God, how could you? You must be confused. You don't know what you're doing. 
but also the, the stuff that's right that's not there. That might be convicting, but I also hope it's encouraging. What would it look like to be set free from being overwhelmed and devastated and held captive to fear and worry? By not just beating yourself up about all the wrong thoughts, but by understanding God is all-powerful. But a God who's just all-powerful is utterly terrifying. And many people then in that era, that's what they viewed of, of God. He's, he's so big, you know, these, he throws lightning bolts and you better not have one wrong thought and he will smite you. Some of us, uh, more likely the self-righteous and legalistic among us, have that view of God. And so we're so afraid of him that we want to keep him in our debt by just being perfect and getting everything right. Others of us, the more licentious, willy-nilly among us, um, have too low a view. Oh God, he's all good, he's Santa Claus, he's this, but he is not almighty God to approach with awe and reverence. God is all-powerful, and he's good. Thankfully, church, he is kind enough to comfort the hopeless. Looking in verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. How many of us have seen remember the titans and can't help but remember when preach when the carry yes when preach goes off on this and uh, the big dude what's his name Lu Lu Louie no the big white guy what is it Louie Lu elastic Louie gets up and it's it when they're out at the at the uh, sorry this is off script here but if you haven't seen it go back watch that scene watch the movie it's incredible when my wife and I first got married, we didn't have cable damning. We had two mo movies. Remember the Titans on DVD and another one I'm less proud of, Joe Dirt. And, uh, <laughs> but remember the Titans, okay? F focus on the right part of the story. We have the whole movie memorized both. Uh, I was actually <laughs> testing you. I remembered Louis Elastic. No, forgot his name, but remembered the whole movies, all that. Um, I am also ashamed to say I remember Joe Dirt word for word. But... <laughs> Remember the Titans. Remember it so well. Well, he's right, and then he's going off, and he's talking about preach, and he quotes this. Even youths grow weary. What that means, even the strongest among you, the smartest. At this time, it's youth, right? If you watch a U of A basketball game, not ASU. If you watch a U of A basketball game, right, you see might and strength and power, right? You see Sorry again, stick to the main part. Sorry if I offended you. Most ASU fans don't even care, so let's be real. Okay, but whoever it is that comes to mind for you, the most powerful, the prettiest, the most handsome, the strongest, the smartest, the wealthiest, whatever it is that we're not, that we think if we had that, we would be set. Everyone, if we're honest, grows weary, gets tired. Not God. But God doesn't use it for himself. He doesn't sit back arrogantly and say, wag his finger and say, shame on you. He uses that to comfort. 
in verse 31, but they who wait on the Lord. No, sorry, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is God's promise. What comes to mind when you think of God? Do you even know your God? Exhortation. Conviction. Encouragement. A loving father, a pursuing spouse, hands on the shoulder, hand on the bottom of the chin, tilting your gaze up to look at him, pleading, I see your hopelessness. Do you even know your God? Do you know how powerful he is? Do you know how good he is. For the audience, they would be receiving Isaiah. This whole poem we're going to be walking through for a few months or a couple months is, is pregnant with the question, how? How? How, God? How are you so powerful? How are you so good? I don't know. How? Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Sadly for us, Jesus the cross, God's power, God's goodness has become in many ways a cuss word, a piece of jewelry, a tattoo that might be absolutely opposite of the way we live our lives, right? Nazi Germany used the cross as a symbol of their evil. No, the cross is the ultimate picture of the suffering servant all powerful and all good king do you even know your god church that's the question we get to sit under together for the next couple months and today and in the weeks to come we get to respond by turning our eyes individually, as families, as couples, as roommates and friends, as a church body, to the all-powerful God of comfort. Let's pray together. Lord, lead us, please, now, Lord, to respond to you appropriately. How would you have us respond? What would you have us hear and feel and see about ourselves, about how we view ourselves. Do we view ourselves as you do, with words of comfort and tenderness? Even when you correct, do we see you rightly as all-powerful and all-good, as one who comforts, as one who absolutely will deal with evil and has dealt with evil and all its power by laying your life down for us and then taking it up again when you rose again and put death in its place. 
Lord, lead us as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.